Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome, everybody, to another week here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. This week is the second of a two-part series with Australian horsewoman, Ali Heenan. Now, in the first part of the episode, we definitely got into the weeds of leadership, specifically in the law enforcement and military community. However, the topics and lesson learned are directly applicable to all facets of life. In this second part, we really get into the horse's influence and Ali's plans for the future, continuing her life of leadership and service through the horse. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us both on Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here's our second conversation with Major Ali Heenan. I actually, I probably should have had a, you know, a shot of whiskey before doing that, but I had, um, I chose to have a nude photo shoot done and I had, I had, I didn't tell anyone. Um, yeah, I, I and, could see why that's not something you wouldn't want to broadcast. Yeah. That's understandable. <laughs> except, except what I'm saying on a podcast that you yeah. know, get listened to around yeah. the world. That's quite okay. Um, well, now everybody no, knows. The photos, are, the photos are not up online, um, but I... It was purely for me, and I said this to this. She was an incredible photographer, and she really understood. I said, if I can see myself without makeup, without clothes, without all these, you know, things that society places on us, and that we hear from such a young age that this is what beauty is, this is what beauty means. If I can just see me and see myself as beautiful, then. I'm willing to make that investment in my own self-worth. Um, and the whole experience was just an absolute hoot. Like, it was so much fun. Um, and I remember, you know, at the end of it, um, you know, they go and they have a look through all the photos. And the photographer came out and she was so excited. She's like, there's this one shot that's just incredible, like just unplanned but just incredible um but you went into like this little like mini cinema now if you imagine and you know women body image is such a a big issue for so many women and you know we it's something that we obsess about now you're in this little cinema room and there is a screen that is the entire size of the wall and you're having these photos put up on this screen and they're you, completely starkers, on like an entire wall. Um, quite a confronting experience for yeah, a woman. I was say, there's no place However, to hide at that point. There is no place to hide. Um, however, I remember I just sat there with tears streaming down my face because they were so artistic and not at all crude, just really, really beautiful. And for me to sit there, like, I couldn't believe that it was me. Um, and it was such an empowering experience. I picked the photo that they identified straight away and it's just so artistic. And as soon as I saw it, I said, how big can you print it? And it is now a canvas print in my lounge room that's like a metre tall. And it, it's quite <laughs> funny, actually. Print. A life-size print, you know, um, and 
it's it's been really interesting because it's it's done so much for me to to have that there. Um, you know, it's a really beautiful artistic photo, and even some of my closest friends, like it's taken months of them coming to my house before they eventually, you know, recognise a tattoo and go. Hold on here. Is that is that you? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it is. And they're like, what? Um, but it's just for me to have that is that constant reminder that beauty isn't what society and magazines and um, you know other people say it is. It's remaining true to yourself and being able to acknowledge what is beautiful and what is empowering about yourself and where that strength comes from. So that was such a powerful experience for me. When I then came into this job that I was mentioning, um, I was determined to remain true to myself and remain authentic. Um, and it meant that I approached the job very, very differently to all of my male peers. Um, and through doing so, I was able to be highly effective and have a very positive influence, not only on the young female cadets, but also the male cadets as well, because they were able to see an example of a female leader in a military environment who was being true to herself and it was still effective. And I recall I had a number of very humbling um, letters that... Uh, from both male and female cadets, but particularly there was one young girl who wrote me this thank you letter when she graduated. And she said, you know, when I joined the army, I saw all these examples of these very competent officers and leaders, um, but they were all men. Uh, and I thought that I was going to have to change who I was as a person to be an effective leader in this organisation. And she said, but thanks to you, you showed me that there's another way, that I don't have to change who I am. I can remain true to myself. I can be a woman. I can be empathetic. I can be compassionate, but I can also be firm without being called a bitch or without being, you know, called whiny. Yeah, um, yeah. And be highly competent. I can pull people into line when I need to, but so long as I... I'm not a hypocrite and I live the example, then I can remain true to myself and remain feminine in this organisation. And she wanted to thank me for that. I think I was, again, following my eyes out by this stage. Um, I'll tell and you that what. Was actually... <laughs> I was going to say, sorry to interject, but... No, please. I mean, what you described in this last segment is completely abnormal, right? And I say it's abnormal in the sense... And think back and how many times in your career, and you've probably even had these thoughts, I know I have, you see people promote or you see individuals titled as leaders by an institution, right? They are not yeah. leaders, but they have sold themselves or played the game or have the right political connections to fly through the ranks, right? And it's often enticing because you see people get the nod to now become leaders and you know they don't have it. And you know they don't even have the resume that you have or the experience that you have. And I think for some people, they succumb to that and they say, well, if I follow that map, 
or if I follow that plan, then I'm going to get what I want versus staying true to yourself. And and that's the approach that I've always taken. And I'm sure it's, mm. I'm sure it's come at some cost, right? I am who I am. I have the experiences. I have the approach. I think I go about business the right way. And I will always do that no matter what insignia is put or what rank or title or what's printed on a business card, right? Absolutely. But so many people sell themselves. And I think of some of the greatest in my profession that I think back on, they're alcoholics. They're divorced. Mm. Their kids hate them, right? All because they wanted to be the man, per se, in their profession. Yeah. And completely have destroyed not only their life, but the lives of those closest to them. For the sake of what? Because when it comes down to it, the hamster wheel is always going to turn. It's going right? to keep on going. <laughs> and all that you've accomplished in the in the Australian Army, right? All that you've accomplished as a leader, the day you hang them for the last time, Somebody will fill your spot and the show will go on, right? But for you to not only achieve the success that you have achieved, for you to not lose yourself in the stride, and even we talk about abnormal, right? Yes, a nude photo shoot is 100% abnormal in finding (laughs) your way, right? But you found it. But highly effective to all the women Exactly, exactly. You found it. it. You made it to... The finish line. And so many people don't get that opportunity. For me, horses afforded me that redirection, right? I didn't have to go as far as a nude photo shoot. That would be catastrophic (laughs) to to many people. (laughs) Um, But I'm not saying to publicize your nude photos, everyone. I'm just saying keep it for yourself. Oh, God, we have enough of that trash out there, right? Yeah. (laughs) But what I think is most commendable is just that, right? You put yourself back on some sort of pedestal. You place some priority on yourself again. And Mm. in a recent conversation, um, I was told you can't, you can't give what you don't have, right? Yeah. So if you don't have anything left in your tank, if you are absolutely miserable at what you do and you cannot stand it and you cannot stand the people that you work with, how are you going to spread any joy? How are you going to be an effective leader? How are you going to be a productive employee? How are you going to be a great Absolutely. father, wife, husband, sister, brother, whatever it is, right? So there has to be some level of selfishness in order to recharge your life's batteries and take care of you. And you have to be okay with it because in my journey, I was not at first. I thought I was oh, very selfish. I resonate right? completely. Yes. I thought, how could I? And you get the guilt. Yes. How could you I get take guilt time from you doing something for exactly, you? Exactly. Exactly. And I questioned it, and I said, No, I can't be doing this. I can't be doing this. I need to be dedicating to this or that or yep. these people, right? Um, but it's Helping years. Everyone of, yeah, but yourself. It's years and years of being broken, right, or being destroyed, or just being off, right? You're not yourself, and you know you're not in your element, and you mm. know you're not performing to your optimal. Uh, that you realize, you know what, the 15 minutes that I get of peace and quiet or the 10 minutes I get with my horse is going to is gonna give me the ability to absolutely run everybody into the ground and pour into everybody for a week, right? I can just push yes. so much harder and farther and faster than I would have if I continued to work for those 10 or 15 minutes and forego that recharging experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think um, this is probably a good segue for me to bring horses back into my own journey because up until this point I had been uh, lucky to go on a trail ride like once a year once I joined the army you know constantly moving constantly traveling yeah and you know when you're posting to a new location and a new job every 
year or two. Like literally, they can send you anywhere. Um, <laughs> it's one thing to, I eventually got a dog and she was just the saviour of my life um, through some challenges. Um but it's one thing to move across the country with a dog. It's an entirely different thing to move across the country with a horse um, and find appropriate housing and all that sort of thing, let alone time. And people are quite, you can put a dog in a kennel and people are happy to, you know, go and feed the dog and walk the dog. Less people are familiar with, oh, by the way, can you go and feed the horse? Can you keep an eye on it? Can you put a rug on it? Can you do this? <laughs> yes. Can you pick out its feet? And they're like, yes. what? Like, I don't even want to go near it. It's going to kill me. Um, so when I finally returned to Canberra, um, I I had reached that point that you were just talking about where I'd completely lost touch with myself. Um, you know, I'd done the photo shoot, but I was still in a really pretty dark place um, and had just burnt out. And I think it was one of the hardest things I've ever done um, to actually this was just before I came back to Canberra, I went, I self-referred to the psych on base Mm -hmm. um, and I said, I need help. I have no idea what that help looks like and it scares the absolute shit out of me, excuse my language, but I don't know what that looks like, but I know that I need help. And in, I imagine it's exactly the same in, you know, the emergency services as well. But in the military, there's been such a stigma around mental health and psychological support. And we have come so far in helping to break down that stigma. Um, But it's, I'm very open about it, about talking about it, particularly, you know, with these cadets coming through so that they can see like they see one image of me, I want them to understand that it's okay to be human and it's okay to to need help and to ask for help rather than just see me as, you know, some aspirational leader and one day they want to be like me. But it's not just an easy journey to get there. Yeah, show them what the road it's really looks like. Huge, absolutely. You need to share what that road does look like so that people understand that, it's okay and it's normal to have those challenges and even more so that it reaches the point where you need to look after yourself. Otherwise, you're no help at all to anyone. So I saw this psych and he was brilliant. I saw him quite regularly and he helped me work through a lot of things and overcome a lot of anxiety and sort of borderline depression and be okay with who I was and be okay to take that time out, invest in myself and my own welfare and my own well-being and that everyone else would be okay if I just took a couple of weeks for myself. The world wasn't going to stop. Yes. People weren't going <laughs> to, yeah. you know, the die. The wheels will not come off. Um, the wheels will not come off and it's not coming from a place of self-importance. It's just from a place of so-and-so has asked me to do this. So-and-so needs my help. Um, you know, I'm letting everyone down. So I'd, I'd been through that and came back to Canberra, um, was in a very challenging relationship at the time. Um, and again, it's so easy to see it when it's someone else, but when it's yourself, you were just in denial. Um, so I was in quite an emotionally abusive relationship, and I think that can sometimes be harder to identify and acknowledge when there isn't the physical abuse. Um, And 
you just, I, I was finding that a lot of the time, like I was just losing more and more of my own self-worth and spent so much time trying to figure out what I'd done wrong. What what mistake had I made this time? Um, you know, why isn't he talking to me? Why am I getting the silent treatment? What did I say wrong? You know, mm-hmm. and it actually, again, when you look back on it, it had nothing to do with me. It's that this other person was in a really bad place himself. Yes. And he didn't know how to deal with that or how to cope with that. And I was the unfortunate recipient on the other end. It's taken me a long time to get to that level of sort of awareness yes. and yes. understanding. But it was at that time that coming back to Canberra, I was able to go back to horses. And I was still working a very busy job, but I went, you know what? I can afford one hour a week to have a good old-fashioned riding lesson. Yeah. I want to go back to riding. And I'm like, if I, and the lady who I started lessons with, she's a fabulous woman, um, and she taught late in an evening on weekdays. Um, and so I used to have a lesson like 7 o'clock at night. And I went, if I cannot be out of the office one day a week <laughs> to have a riding <laughs> lesson at 7 o'clock at night, something's wrong. Yeah, you got to reevaluate went, your leadership plan. That's it. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, I'm going to end up where I was, you know, a year ago. I'm not willing to go there again. I'm going back to writing. This is the one thing I'm doing for me. And despite the challenges with the relationship at home, that hour was like my sanctitude. Um, and it really straight away brought back to me the power of these incredible animals to just be completely present and everything would suddenly shift and come back into perspective and it would just be the highlight of my week and then eventually I'd have two lessons a week and then I finally was able to see the relationship for what it was after going after really sitting down and going take myself out of this picture imagine it's one of my closest dearest friends what would I be saying to them? Yeah, <laughs> I'd be like, I would be saying, trip. I would be yeah. dragging them out and yes. be like, I am rescuing you from yourself. And so I was able to, um, I don't think I would have reached that point, at least not as quickly as I did, had I not found the horses again. Um, and just in such a natural and passive way, it's not that, you know, you go out and you're suddenly in like a, a state of, um, you know, like on the couch at a counsellor's, it's just without any words being spoken, just taking that time to be present and to reconnect with these incredible animals helped me find perspective in the rest of my life. So I ended the relationship um, and I bought myself a halter um, or a headstall. Um, and that was my commitment to myself that the following year, so that was now coming up to 2017, mm-hmm. I was going to buy myself my very first pony. I was buying myself a horse. Um, <laughs> and just that, that one act go. of, that's it. And so it begins. Um, fortunately for my parents, I was out of home. Yes, I had my own job. They're I was not like, footing the bill. Home. Correct. It is not a financial problem. <laughs> That's it. Um, they're like, you know, it's her money. <laughs> um, and I hung this halter on a hook in my house and I went, this is my commitment to myself. Um, and then I started that very high tempo job that I was talking about before. Um, 
so the plan to then take 12 months to find a horse and buy a horse and happened in the space of about six weeks. And I was like, shit, this was not the plan. Yeah. Um, it's but all again, about that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So um, I'd said to like my riding instructor, it was one of her horses and she'd never planned to keep him long term, but she only wanted him to go to the right home. Um, she wasn't just going to sell him to anyone. And she told me, she's like, oh, I have a horse that I think you might be interested in. When she told me that it was Tilt, this beautiful um, thoroughbred, I was like, what? Like, I am not worthy of this creature. Like, what? Again, all the, like, insecurities and, like, I'm not worth. I'm yeah, not all worth the progress that you made in last year out the window. Ooh, gone. <laughs> um, in the space of, like, one phone call and I said, look, um, you know, if I move out to my new place, which is, was only 10 minutes down the road from her, I'm like, then I might be able to consider it because then I can just adjust him at your place. I know that I'm going to be away a lot this year and it wouldn't be fair on the horse. Mm -hmm. At least he could stay with you. I know that he'll be well looked after. She'd offered to work him when I was away um, and on call and doing ridiculous sort of 14 to 18 hour days yeah. and so I did move out to the house that I was planning on moving to and I'm like okay I'll have a lesson on him after one 30 minute lesson I went home and put a deposit on him I'm like ah I can't ever lose this horse <laughs> um, <laughs> you know I suppose I do do things you know spontaneously right from the start of my career um and I was like what just all the all the all the reason all the you know, came in and just like, what are you thinking? This is irresponsible. You're not going to have a time for the horse, blah, blah, blah. Isn't it crazy Everything, how we get in our own way? common sense. And I went, this horse, and I think this is the beautiful thing about horses, is that they help you break through all that consuming bullshit yes. to go, he's worth it. Do it. We'll figure it out. Yes. And I'm, I didn't know at the time but he was the best thing that could have happened to me for that year in such a high-pressure job that, like I said before, very rewarding, highlight of my career, but took its toll. There would be nights that I'd be driving home in the dark and I would literally stop by um, at the to where my horse was, still, still in my uniform, like still in my cams. I'd just <laughs> get out the car. Ready to rock. I'd I'd stopped by the supermarket on the way home, not for anything for me, but just to buy a bag of carrots. <laughs> and I'd like, I was very camouflaged in the dark, you know, but the horses could see me. That was all that mattered. And I would just give my pony a carrot and a cuddle. Yeah. And just that one thing would just, again, bring everything back into perspective. Go, tomorrow's a new day. It's okay. Yeah. Take a breath. It's incredible. Slow the brain that has gone into overdrive of, I haven't done this. I need to do this. Don't forget to do this. This person's going to call you. You still owe this. What's going to happen? Is the phone going to ring tonight? All of that in just the space of a few minutes, suddenly it's not quite so important. Um, and that horse throughout the whole year had that beautiful effect. Um, and that was nearly four years ago now um and now i have a herd of 12 horses half of which are mine and there's no way i'm posting anywhere around the country again why am i not um, surprised <laughs> <laughs> um all different ages and breeds and backgrounds and different stages of training um but they along with my two dogs two chickens and four cats um you know they just 
the light of my life um, and make life worth living. Like it's, it's about finding that joy, I think, that we get so caught up in, again, in those societal norms and those expectations that become normalized of, you know, you have to do the office job, you have to be working ridiculous hours. And it's like a sign of, um, of your success is how hard do you work? How many hours do you work, you know, so that you can earn this income? And you then actually don't have time to enjoy the little things in life. And you realize you've wasted all these years and going, am I actually truly happy in what I'm doing? Yeah, for what? Or am I not? Yeah. Um, you know, if you if you are in a very successful job and you're making on a fantastic salary, fantastic. Well done for doing that hard work. Do you have time to actually enjoy your success? And is that your success or is it success that someone else told you this is what success looks like? Um, yeah, so that's that's sort of where horses came back in. Um, then my my own path of what that success looks like took a different turn um, after finishing that job in 2017 and I think that was when, as I started to connect far more with my horse, um, at the end of that year, start of the next year, I had the huge privilege of going up to Tamworth to uh, attend a Legacy of Legends from that had come over from the US. They came over every two years um, and could not believe my luck that I was drawn to ride in Buck Brenneman's clinic that followed after Alexia yeah, Legends, yeah. like just pinching myself. I've got my little pony. I'm like, I need to buy a horse float. I need to swap my car because my car can't tow a float. You know, my <laughs> pony and I are going on an adventure. I've never towed a, towed a float um, or hold a trailer, as you guys say. Yeah, I was going to um, say. They, they, I appreciate the translation. It. I was going to attach that hold in the comments for the social media. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, in my life and to go up to Tamworth, I had a couple of girlfriends along for the road trip um, and away we went. And that just opened me up to an entire different approach of horsemanship away from, again, what what we think success looks like of, you know, high level competitions and all spending all this money and having the fanciest gear and, you know, fancy arenas. And it's all about competition, competition, the number one question that I get from people who have horses and even more so who don't, when I say, you know, yeah, we have 12 horses in the head, like, well, what do you do? Yeah, exactly. If, what do you do with your horses? And well, do, I enjoy do you jump? them. Do you, that's <laughs> it. I do whatever I want with them. Um, and I enjoy their company. I enjoy watching them be horses. They all run as a herd, all 12 of them. And to see that interaction is just brings me so much joy to see the way that they play together. Um, I've, I've never seen domestic horses play the way the ours do. Um, often because people aren't fortunate enough to have their horses running. Most herd people don't have 12 big. running in a paddock, but go ahead. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and it just opened me up to a whole different, um, different methodology, uh, and different way of approaching horses and that you could do it in a way that was respectful and built on mutual trust and learning 
learning the nature of the horse so that you can provide that leadership to them in a way that they understand that doesn't come from a place of fear um, or pain um, or they're not just tolerating it because it's the least uncomfortable option for them but from a place where there's that genuine willingness and desire to be with you uh, just completely opened up a whole new sort of world uh, it was like taking a pair of dark glasses off and seeing things in a new light for the first time um, so I wasn't quite sure where I wanted to go from a military perspective at that stage so I took all my long service leave um, you know I think what was I the ripe old age of like 30 and I had long service leave it was fabulous um, <laughs> and which was in itself a really challenging experience because I'd spent so long being in such high tempo jobs and always alert, always, always on call, involved, always, always on. involved. Yes. And this to realize that there was still this anxiety there, hyped up, ready to go, you know, that fight or flight mm-hmm. response of mm-hmm. right, adrenaline's ready, but there was actually nothing triggering it. Like there yeah. was nothing to respond yeah. to. There was nothing. It becomes there. your baseline, right? When you live life <laughs> that long, that just becomes normal, and it's, it's not normal. in and any way, shape, or it's form. No- <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as you realize it's not normal, it's actually yeah. really scary. Yeah, you're, you're like, like, oh god, I don't know what to do. What do I do now? Um, I remember it was. Oh, I had. I'll. I'll tell you about this because it's pretty funny, and all my the cadets that I mentored and trained sort of laugh at me when I tell them about this. One of the most challenging experiences for me when I just started this long service leave, I had a couple of months off. I remember standing there looking at my wardrobe and I'd finally like moved on uniform now, jeans, boots, shirts, happy as can be. But I pulled this shirt out, my collared shirt from my wardrobe and it wasn't ironed. And I sat there and I stared at it. I debated with myself for a good 15, <laughs> 20 minutes. I need to iron this shirt. I'm like, no, you don't. I'm like, yes, I do. But it really it's needs so to be ironed. I don't iron the shirt. It needs to be ironed. And I looked at it. I'm like, who's going to see? The horses in the paddock? I'm like, but that's not the point. What if someone drives past? And I'm just looking like disheveled in an unironed shirt. Like it'd be hanging on a coat hanger. So, you know, it's not as if it was completely crumpled. But I just... I remember just this back and forwards in my head of like, I, I can't possibly put on an unironed shirt. And then like I took this deep <laughs> breath. I felt like the biggest rebel and went, I'm doing I'm it. I'm doing it. I'm putting on the unironed shirt. Like, um, go for it. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was a huge step for me. Like, you know, this was far harder to get to that than any of the other challenges I'd overcome. Um, but to, to then go, I didn't die. No one yelled at me. I haven't, like, people haven't lost all their respect for me. Things are okay. I'm incompetent. I'm yes. okay. Um, and I spent the next um, three months um, down the road. I'd walk down the road every morning and there was this incredible man um, who was a saddle maker. He still is, John Short, um, in Breadbow. And he's just this like classic old school character and his lifelong dream had always been to have his own little saddlery in his shed at home in his backyard. And it was the most therapeutic experience 
when I at that point in my life to just sit down there with him, sit on a stool next to him, tinker away with the country tunes going and learning how to do leather work and make saddles. How cool and is that? This, yeah, to just unplug. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. And this old craft that is a dying art form and with him in with all his wisdom um, and to just be able to breathe. And I think it was at that point that I was really able to acknowledge that it's okay if I don't want to spend the rest of my life in the army. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. That doesn't mean I failed. That doesn't mean I'm running away. There is more to life than just the army. And more importantly, there's more to me than just being an army officer. Yes, that's what I do, and it has been a very large part of my life, but that doesn't define who I am as a person, uh, which was a really incredible revelation. And to just see that there were so many other opportunities um, and that I had choice, that I could pick what path I wanted to go down. Um, And it was just really eye-opening and one of the best things that could have happened to me to have have that experience it's incredible that you got to that point because i've had many guests on the show right that have served in in united states military and law enforcement and it's an ever common theme is that once that uniform is taken off for the last time these individuals think their identity goes with it and what i try to convey in working with folks out of those professions and populations is that everything that made you what is represented in that uniform has not changed one single bit. The focus and direction will now change. Not at all. But your work ethic and your drive and your passion and your fire and your intelligence and everything Mm. that helped you achieve the success that you've achieved, whether it's a 10-year career, 20, 30, hopefully you're not going into 40 and 50-year careers. You're probably paying for divorces at that point, but it doesn't change who you are. And... No. We just need to refocus the sights and find another passion and another purpose. And yes, the success might take a few years to get back to that level or that caliber, whatever, that income that you're used to, yes. but it's all manageable. It's all doable. And I tell people all the time that your profession is not, for some folks it is, it genuinely is, right? But it's not who you are, it's what you do. And, and you reiterated that point, right? And mm, definitely to be able to find that distinction. And I'm not saying that it didn't come with cost, right? Because a lot of people lose mm. themselves and in walking the valleys, that's when they find what you just described, right? You've kind yes. of, you've kind of found it ahead of time, you know, but it provides so yeah. much more clarity and value And it helps reinstill the life and the vigor and the passion and the person that you were going into your service career when you were 17 years old, calling a phone number on a water bottle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think when you can, the more you can identify that, as you then open your eyes to all the different opportunities around you and you start to engage with people who, for me, are not military, you know, mm-hmm. the dreaded mm-hmm. civvies that are like <laughs> super scary and chaos. they don't understand what they're saying. You're like, what? Like, I'm really scared of civvies, you know. <laughs> what do you mean um, you don't eat the same time but- every day? <laughs> That's it. That's it. I'm like, wait, why, why, are your, why are your clothes not, you know, hung with all the coat hangers facing the same yeah. way? You know, all those little things. Oh, that it's just, an illness. Um, it is. It really is. Um, it's when you start to 
open yourself up to those opportunities and to those connections, I think it can also really help you identify not only that sense of self, but also reaffirm what you have to offer. Correct. And then it, all that experience and that skill set and that knowledge that you've gained from whatever you've done up to that point, you can still apply that and have a lot to contribute in a completely different environment. You know, be it your leadership is across the board. It doesn't matter if you're wearing a uniform or not. Your ability to talk to people, that self-confidence, that ability to deal with uncertainty. Um, and I mean, a perfect example for me was at the start of the year uh, with the fires, although fortunately they didn't come across the rental property that I'm at at the moment, the fi- the front of the fires was getting very close and we didn't know which way it was going to go. So I had to make the call, right, I'm evacuating. I've got 20 animals that I need to get out. You need some um, time. Horses are going first. Horses are going first. And I made the call. It was like a Friday night. And, you know, we only had like, you know, little two-horse floats, um, two horses per float. And I just, I started contacting people. I'm like, okay, I managed to get seven people, four cars and three floats. So I could take six horses at a time. I'm like, okay, two trips. And we literally did it throughout the night. And to see that in that uncertainty, I was just able to think really clearly. I'd already, I knew my herd. I'm like, right. Most of them had never been in a stable before. They're now going on strange floats with people they don't know. And I'm like, okay, these two are going together. Those two are going together. Those two are going together. We're going in this order. These horses are going in these floats. These people are towing these floats. We're going here. We're going in this order, like convoy orders, like perfect military convoy orders. Yes. And... That's it. That's it. But I didn't have to sit down and plan it for hours. I didn't panic. And throughout the whole night, like we finished at about 5.30 in the morning and we just had two horses left because one of them just was, we were having trouble loading him. And so I made the decision. I'm like, we're leaving him. We're getting these others out. Um, You know, we'll come back. But, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, making those decisions, I could see that the people that were with me, they their level of concern and anxiety just dropped because they were getting clear direction on what to do, on what they needed to do, and Ali wasn't panicking. She had all in control. Um, and even to see that throughout the night, like by 5.30 in the morning, I was still completely wide awake and I could, I was able to identify in my friends who'd been up all night and with the ad- adrenaline and anxiety, I'm like, okay, you all need to go home to bed. This is going to come to an end really here. fast. <laughs> That's it. That's it. You're all going home to bed. I'll stay here. A friend is coming out to take over looking after the horses. Then I'll go back and get the other two. You all need sleep. Go. Um, And just to, to acknowledge that you have so much training and experience that you can apply it to anything. Uh, I think the more that you can step into that, it helps you acknowledge that and gives you far more sense of self-worth and what you have that you can contribute to society. Yeah. It answers that question, right? What do I have to offer? Because so many people get pigeonholed into a profession or a career. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I've even I've even experienced it on some level uh, where you think, oh man, this is where my skill set is. This is all I can do. Yeah. I'm now um, going to be a contractor back to defense yeah, in IT. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and looking at it through the lens that you just described, you know, it, it kind of piggybacks on the point that I made earlier. Like you are who you are. You've developed mm. the experience that you have developed. And yep. it doesn't matter whether you're in a, in a deployment operation or you're about to get burned over on a ranch, right? 
uh, absolutely getting it together and representing leadership and being the decision maker and owning the decisions and taking accountability for everybody's actions, keeping everybody framed up on task, on assignment, on time, right? It doesn't change. It's two different missions, two different goals, but you are who you are and you're going to demonstrate the same exact leadership in one as you are the other. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so for me now, like I'm, um, I'm still serving full-time and um, in a really interesting role here in Canberra. Um, but for me now, I'm seeing this as a as a transition phase. Like I still I enjoy my job. I give it all my attention, but in a far more balanced way uh, because I've been able to see that for me, my life is now heading towards the next chapter on a different path. Um, so I mentioned earlier that I've bought uh, a property up in the snowy mountains. Mm-hmm. At the moment, it's just a vacant block of land. Um, and after a, a lot of exposure to different parts of the equestrian world and all things that you can do with horses and, um, you know, a stint as a track rider um, at the race course and, you know, then you see the people that are into the jumping and the dressage and this and that. Um, I've identified particularly this year with, you know, the, the crazy year that 2020 has been. Um, it's given me a lot of time for sort of reflection and to see that it can be very easy to just fall into someone else's path um, and get caught up into what they want to do with horses and their way of doing things. And, oh, well, we could do this together. I could see that, you know, we could work together to uh, develop these horse tracks or to train racehorses or, you know, to whatever it might be. And I've been able to just sort of sit with that and take a step back and go, that's all well and good. And I'm very grateful and humbled by people around me who want me to be involved in their pursuits. And it's a huge compliment. But to take, sort of check myself and take, in military sense, that tactical pause, Mm -hmm. which we love to talk about, um, (laughs) to sort of check in, and I'm getting better at doing this earlier rather than later, of what is it that I want to do? Where do I want my path to lead? And for me, I'm now um, looking next year to start my studies in equine psychotherapy and equine assisted learning. Cause I see that when I look back at all my experiences, um, I've got a lot of practical experience of working with all different kinds of people who are going through all different sorts of struggles as well as working through my own challenges and then seeing the incredible benefit that the horses have had for so many people, but even my own personal experience in just such an incidental manner is that I see that for me there's a path in my herd helping other people to work through some of their own challenges in life, um, particularly veterans, uh, which is obviously a very passionate area for me. My little brother, um, who's not so little anymore, but uh, he was <laughs> medically retired from the US Marines after um, being deployed over in Helmand and Um, his MRAP hidden IED out in Helmand province in the middle of the desert. Um, So I've got a lot of um, 
very close exposure um, as well as numerous friends, um, you know, with PTSD and Mm -hmm. those sorts of struggles and as well as, you know, friends who have nothing to do with the military but have been through similar challenges from a relationship sense or a self-worth sense um, that there's a there's this other path that I want to pursue and I think my beautiful, curious herd of horses that just love humans can help me. Like they're the ones that will be the teachers. They're the teachers. I'm just the facilitator that can put the people in touch with the horses and then let them do their thing. I love it. I love it. It's true. That's where I'm heading now. (laughs) Press on. Absolutely press on because you talked about earlier, right? I mean, we, We've kind of touched on it a little bit. The, the preconceived notions or public image or societal images, right, are, are, are kind of getting in the way of who people are and, and setting unrealistic yes. standards. And what I think is is most commendable in your new pursuit that you just described, right, is that you give so much credibility to it. And this is not to speak ill of any other organizations or anything of that sort, but I think there's so many people that have financially jumped on the bandwagon of helping veterans and first Mm. responders, right? They do it because it's an easy fundraiser. Why? It's easy for Mm. people to give back to those who served us, right? But how much of those, how much of those monies actually make it to the purpose, right? Mm. And with folks like yourself, uh, there's another organization uh, well, relatively, it's closer to me than you. <laughs> Down in San Diego, California, <laughs> Saddles and Service, right? Uh, yeah. It is a family. Excuse me. It is a family that has relationships, has ties, deep ties to the special forces community, right? And mm. you, you want to talk about taking action? They are doing incredible things with horses, and the veteran and law enforcement first responder community. You know, what you give is you give life experience. This isn't an effort in vain. You're not doing it because it's a popular fad or it's financially advantageous. You have lived life. You have had a phenomenal career. It has afforded you some great opportunities and it has afforded you some horrible opportunities, right? This doesn't, (laughs) this does not come without trial, not in any way, shape or form, but it didn't happen in vain. Now it gives you a far greater perspective to serve those in a different facet. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's the perfect house and family and job from a magazine. And it's not about when I get this, I'll be happy. When I get this, I'll be happy. When I get to there, I'll be happy. When this is over, I'll be happy. It's what do I do with my life right now where I can be intentional with how I live my life that serves others? And I think that idea of servitude that quite often is only associated with military and first responders, it actually applies to life in general. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what scale you're doing that on, but offering that contribution is such a fulfilling experience where, as we spoke about earlier, it doesn't matter the reach. It doesn't matter if you influence one person or a thousand people. It is so rewarding. And I think that is where the joy of living comes from. It's, it's, it's incredible when you think about it, right? The ability to change an individual's trajectory. And we talked a little bit yes. about it. I believe it was off air in the ripple effect, right? You yes. changing the life Absolutely. of one individual, especially in the military, who knows what that person's going to become? 
right? They could fly Absolutely. through the ranks and become some rank of general. And now it's hundreds of thousands of different individuals that they now positively influence all because you took the time to care or you took the time to give yeah. them the time of day or listen or provide honest advice, right? And yeah. it's just – it's incredible to see. You know, I kind of set out with that goal with this show that that if I could change one life – uh, I would be successful in the show, right? Yep. And for a time there, I did get lost in the hype of growing the show and growing it into a business and making it this venture and that venture and competing with this outfit and that outfit. And it wasn't until I had a conversation quite recently with a mentor of mine who said, hey, in life, we got to focus on the why because when you can cl clearly yes. define the why, and I'm talking about down to one sentence, why do you live your life in one sentence? the ball will move. And, and when I sat back and refocused that why and got this show back on track, it's unbelievable. Yes. I might've sacrificed popularity in the, in the mm. form of a societal sense, right? But staying true to the mm. show, staying true to the roots, staying true to the mission and the purpose. It's unbelievable how the messages grow exponentially of, Oh man, this changed my life. Or I heard about this guest. Yes. Or, I heard about that guest or, Hey, you need to reach out to this person. And, to me, that matters because I don't care if there's only a hundred of us that are on this show and or listen to it, right? Mm. But if we have the ability to go out and take action and actually make a difference, not talk about it, not dream it up in theory, not write it down in a playbook, go out and make the difference. Yes. Yeah. That is where it all takes through place. Through action, through Correct. that example. Correct. That's, that's where you inspire and motivate people. That's how you lead people. It's not through yelling. Yes. It's not through telling people what to do. It's through demonstrating through your own actions. And I really like the point that you made uh, about command and leadership, right? When you have that authority in a chain of command, you can always lean on that. Well, I'm your superior yeah. officer. Do it because of that. Not because you respect me. Not because you think it's a good idea. Not because you think it's safe, smart, or any of that, right? Do it because I'm in your command. I am superior and you are subordinate. But a true leader doesn't have to have any of those conversations because no. the quote-unquote subordinate does believe what was said. And does believe it yes. is safe and smart and intelligent and the right thing to do. You know, it's it's crazy when you really start to break down some of these dynamics in leadership. And it's crazy to hear that that even though we are literally on other sides of the world, that the same challenges are faced in leadership and the dynamics in the horse community and the law enforcement veteran community. It's just, it's crazy to see how much we are all alike on some level, even though we're yeah. thousands of miles away. It's universal. Yeah. These things are universal. It's crazy. it's crazy. So as we wrap every show, and I know we have covered an incredible amount of ground, <laughs> and it's been, uh, it truly has been my honor to sit down and, and speak to a human of your caliber. Um, Thank you. Your, your leadership is more than obvious, in my opinion. Um, and for those of you who have been confused maybe on what leadership was, hopefully it was clarified in the last couple episodes. Um <laughs> but as we wrap every episode, I like to leave a question with legacy and, and in your, whether it be personal or professional experience, what is something that you've experienced in your journey that you would like to leave as a legacy, whether it be a bit of advice, a theory, or an approach to somebody maybe coming up down the road a few steps or a few miles behind you? Mm, um, I think for me, it's really about... Staying true to yourself, but allowing yourself uh, 
to take the time to find who you are and who you want to be as a as a human being. Um, for me, it's starting to develop that consciousness of my own emotions, headspace, actions, body language, uh, spoken word, taking responsibility for that and identifying what impact that will have on those around me. And I'll apply this to the horses as well, because for me, it's regardless of species is, am I pushing my own insecurities or my anger or my emotions, my frustrations unfairly onto those around me? Um, or is it better for me to just take a step back, allow myself the time and the self-compassion to process that emotion, that anger, that hurt, that upset before I re-engage? Uh, I think especially these days, us as, as humans, we are so quick to cast judgment on others and it's, it's without consideration. I think something that's really shown up for me, particularly with the horses, is people only know what they know. They only know what they've been shown. They only know the path that they've been shown up to that point. And I think it's worth just taking a minute before you cast judgment on others to go, well, I don't know what they've been shown. I don't know what they've experienced up to this point in their life and where their own insecurities lie. Just like with a horse, you never know how it's been handled up to that point that it enters your life. Um, and to just take pause and allow that empathy and that compassion um, before you before you speak. Take that minute before you speak and actually consider the impact of what you are about to say or do or not say or do is going to have on those around you, whether they are horses, dogs, cats, chickens, or humans. It's true. I know we talk about the popular concept of being present with horses, but I think many of us, especially the type A and the driven personalities, I think we lack that in our own lives. I don't think we're present. Definitely. I don't think we're present at all, right? And, and like you talked about having the busy mind no. and being task-oriented and and for me, you discuss many points that I've I've learned with the horse and especially from the side of empathy is that we oftentimes go out and, and grab the horse and get ready to work with the horse and and we have a certain level of expectations. And when those expectations aren't met, we often blame the horse and yes. we don't look inwards and we don't understand what our influence could have been in that dynamic. You know, there were many days where I just figured the horse wasn't getting it. And it wasn't until yeah. I dove into horsemanship yep. and really had that honest conversation with myself. Well, you know what? The horse might just be having a bad day and they don't want to deal with you or they're not feeling well yeah. or they're just off, right? Or they're not motivated, whatever. But did you consider the attitude that you carried into it? Did you have a rough day? Absolutely. Are there things pent up inside? You know, is that is that subconscious uh, emotion mm. pushing through? And and it helped me in my personal relationships, right? I started to think about that same, you know, I thought back, I, I used to have a supervisor and uh, we did not say, see eye to eye in any stretch. I think that's a fair, fair yes. description, right? <laughs> it's a diplomatic way to put it, yes. <laughs> but now being older, I never did when I was 
interacting with the supervisor, right? But now older, I think back looking on it and I think, man, what was going on in his life that caused that response? Or what was going on in my mm-hmm. life that caused that reaction? Yeah. And absolutely. And you do I have to separate. I think you separate. need to take ownership. Yeah. You need, you need to take ownership and responsibility for what you bring to every interaction. Um, and, you know, the horses don't owe us anything. Not one single but we bit. we set such high demands on them and we are so quick to to blame them. Or every time we interact them, it's because we're going to ride them, we're going to work them, we're going to yeah. do this and do that and achieve it for our own ego. Yes. The horse doesn't have an ego. It's the human ego that has become so present to me and more often than not detrimental, that's where it falls down, be it with humans or with other animals. Yeah. It's all based on our ego. And as soon as you set that aside and take ownership and responsibility of the part that you play um, and look at what can I control, then it becomes so much easier and you can really develop that self-awareness. Mm-hmm. I think people can be so quick to to blame things outside of their control for their own circumstances, for where they're at, for where their life is at, and get so caught up in that victim mentality. That's not to say that some of the experiences that people have are in any way um, acceptable. Um, humans can do some horrible things to other human beings. However, what you do have control over is I am committed to finding a different path. I am committed to making a change. Now, it won't be easy, but if my life doesn't look the way that I want it to look, the only person that's going to change that is you. People will help you and support you, and horses will help you and support you. Most definitely. But unless you're willing to take true ownership and responsibility for that, then no one else can help you. You have to want to change. Yes, it's true. So true on so many levels. Well, Ali, I cannot thank you enough for setting aside this time here for everybody here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. If there's anything that we can do to support your future endeavors, uh, do not hesitate to reach out. You know how to get a hold of me. Absolutely. I'm humbled by the opportunity to be on your podcast and to hopefully help some people, even just one. Most definitely. Most definitely. We'll talk to you down the road. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for riding along with another episode of Let Freedom Reign podcast and being part of our freedom family. If you want to provide greater support of this show, visit patreon.com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. And reign is spelled r-e-i-n. There you can provide a donation and it costs less than the fancy cup of coffee you're probably holding to help us produce free weekly content. For collaborations, to book us as a guest for your next event, or to make guest recommendations, email us at info.lfrpodcast at gmail.com. For the most up-to-date information on Let Freedom Reign, visit our Facebook and Instagram page at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Additionally, you can find us on Twitter at Let Freedom Reign underscore. We cannot thank you enough for being our most loyal listeners, and we'll see you on the next one.